When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pour yourself a cold one. They strike them, huh? And listen to Russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of The College Draft. It is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft Podcast. Ross Tucker with you as always, joined by Matt Waldman. Check him out on Twitter at Matt Waldman and as well as the rookie scouting portfolio. It is fantastic. Matt Waldman, RSP.com. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years. Now I got about five podcasts that I do over the course of seven days, including the College Draft Podcast presented today by FantasyPoints.com. You know the deal. Use the code FEAST, all capital letters, you might be able to go against me and Joe Dolan in our next Best Ball 10 draft. We already started the June Best Ball 10 draft. I went Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler with my first two picks. Everybody should just quit right now. It's over. I'm going to win. It's pretty obvious at this point. But uh, Nick Chubb, by the way, a Matt Waldman favorite, Nick. I mean, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, oh, absolutely. I just picked him in a dynasty draft as well, actually. He and Chris Coffin were my first two, so... We have that in common. I'm hoping to get Eckler a little later, but I don't think it's going to happen. So this doesn't happen that often on the College Draft Podcast that we book a guest like six weeks in advance. (laughs) But that's pretty much what happened today with my guy Brian Spillbeller from Tracking Football, uh, an awesome site we're going to get into in service momentarily. Um Two things. The backstory is Brian and I met at a college football coaches convention. He obviously has tracking football, go big recruiting. I think you guys have probably heard about it at some point. It is a business I started going into my last year in the NFL. Actually, I started doing the due diligence on it in my second to last year in the NFL. So that's how I got a chance to meet Brian. And what I think is cool For today, we just finished over the last eight weeks going over every team's draft pick because we think that's important. But what's really neat is, in my mind, guys, there are sort of three phases of prospect evaluation. There is the film, and I don't think anybody has a better process for breaking down the video than Matt Waldman. Then there are the numbers. We know about the combine numbers, but Brian and his group at Tracking Football, you can check them out on Twitter, at Track Football, just take away the A. The first A, the A in track, if you will, to be able to, to, be able to track those guys over at Tracking Football. And then there's kind of the behind-the-scenes uh, private investigator you know, digging background information up on guys. So maybe over the next couple of weeks, we'll get one of those sleuths on, if you will. But today we're going to get into the numbers. And we're going to do it uh, with my buddy Brian Spillbeller, as I mentioned. And Brian, I don't want to 
steal your thunder. I'm going to start with sort of a blank canvas and let you explain tracking football, what it is that you guys do, who your clients are, and why it's important. Well, first of all, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, have always kind of admired what you've been doing. Obviously, we've got the uh, connection with Podzikoff. I got to give Podzikoff a shout out on, <laughs> on your podcast. But uh, no, we, uh, we're a scouting service, but we are, are not at all dealing with any subjective evaluations. We're focused 100% on objective athletic data. And specifically, what we've been most interested in is the multi-sport participation data and then specifically the track and field participation data of football players from the past, right? So we started this back in 2003 when I just first started getting into high school coaching and teaching with the founder, Mark Brandstad. We were coaching uh, high school football, high school track, trying to get kids to go out for track that were football players and then using NFL anecdotes um, as kind of a bait to say, look, you know, this is what Bo Jackson did. This is what Mike Singletary could do and so on. Um, you know, why don't you come out to track and see what you can do? Uh, that then turned into kind of an obsession of Mark's collecting data, you know, for decades and decades on spreadsheets, using media guides and so on, because, you know, the data was not as easily accessible. And what it's turned in today is basically we are a, a, a scouting service that primarily deals with college football programs in their uh, identification, verification and comparison of high school football prospects. However, uh, we have also recently uh, obtained our first couple NFL clients. We've also developed a partnership with the Senior Bowl uh, through Jim Nagy and his crew. And we're starting to learn how our insights and our analytics can be utilized from uh, that perspective, from the NFL lens and, and from those scouts. Awesome explanation, Brian. I definitely want to get into the NFL part of it because that's one of the parts I think is the most interesting. But I've got two thoughts just from my background and from what I've heard from college coaches and even NFL coaches that I wanted to chime in on there. The first is the idea, and I think, Matt, I, I want you to chime in on this too. I think Matt is a big believer in multi-sport athletes. And the thing that I always point out, I was kind of a late bloomer in terms of size, right? So believe it or not, ninth grade, 5'9", 150, 10th grade, 6 foot, 175, 11th grade, 6'3 and a half, uh, 210, senior year, 6'4 and a half, 245. So I was I was growing like three inches and 30 or 40 pounds a year for like four years. But the thing I always point out to people. And this is, Brian, you'll appreciate this. When you ask my high school friends or college football teammates, so your buddy made the NFL, like played the NFL for seven years? Like, was he a total freak show? And the thing is, is I was not a physical testing freak show. But what my high school buddies will say to them is, well, all I know is in high school basketball, whenever anybody would press us, he would be the one that would dribble up all around the court, dribble around everybody, and he had like 33s as a senior in high school at 250 pounds playing high school basketball. And that's, that's what the high school guys say. And then the, the college guys, they'll say similar. They'll be like, 
Well, he was 300 pounds. He was the point guard of our intramural basketball team. And so even though, Brian, my physical testing numbers weren't off the charts in any way, I was good at the short shuttle, decent at like broad jump, but they weren't off the charts. It was that um, body control and sort of ease of movement and quick feet at my size that enabled me to play in the NFL. And those are the examples, my friends. And I always say, I don't know how athletic I would have been if I only played football. You know, basketball, having to dribble around a guy to go to the hole, having to shoot a three, having to whatever, or on defense in basketball, right? Having to slide your feet back and forth to stay in front of a guy that's got a pretty good handle. There's no doubt in my mind that that helped me in football quite a bit, Brian. Well, and I think the numbers, you know, as we've studied it, I, you know, I recently just did a little glance at like the last 10 years of the NFL draft, right? So at all positions, 87% of NFL draft picks played at least one other sport in high school. Many of them played two uh, as well as football. Um, now, basketball is the second most popular sport um, at all positions. And about 40% of NFL offensive linemen that have been drafted the last 10 years did basketball. About 50% of those offensive linemen have, have done track and field. And, and so when I look at multi-sport participation, I think um, it's not an end-all be-all, right? But I think that what uh, scouts and evaluators are trying to do is, is looking for signal within all the noise. And so what we're trying to do is say, um, you know, if this many people have this, this trait, this experience in common, it's probably something that you want to consider as part of your evaluation. And we track all the participation. It's just difficult with basketball baseball to generate individual metrics that, you know, I mean, if I use your points per game or your rebounds per game, that could be highly dependent on who you played against in Pennsylvania and so on. Uh, with track and field, the beautiful thing is that it's all individual metrics that we're dealing with, right? So while they're out there competing uh, in the ring, on the track, in the jumps, you're also getting real numbers, okay, that you can then utilize that are truly a reflection of their athleticism. Um, and, and like I said, uh, you know, we're all looking for signal. And, and I think that the way that we approach thing, uh, you know, you may not have a great short shuttle, but I would also wonder what the context was of that short shuttle. What was your short shuttle, you know, compared to all other people at your height, at your weight when you were 18? Because sometimes we think things are not good or really good. And then we really apply a football context to it. And it makes us kind of look at things a little bit differently. You know what's funny, Brian, is you would think that you and Matt would be on some level adversaries because you are uh, the metric guy and Matt is the video guy. But you know what's amazing? You guys are actually going to become best friends because <laughs> when Matt, when we break down guys, I don't even know how he knows it, Brian, but every time Matt breaks somebody down, he'll say, you can see his high school lacrosse background. I'm like, what? Like, like Matt knows. Matt knows everybody. You, Matt, you almost always mention their other sport background when you're breaking guys down on video. A, how do you know that? And B, why is that important to you? And I think it's important to me because when you think about players, it's really about how they react to the speed of instinct when it comes to playing the game. 
And so when you think about your high school experiences playing basketball or somebody's high school experience as a track athlete, or even whether, you know, even though it can't be quantified right now with the context that Brian's looking for with baseball or wrestling or something of that nature, what you're seeing is someone who is um, athletically applied a lot of different ways of solving problems. So when they've solved different problems athletically, it gives their brain uh, a, a number of experiences that show up in a way so that intuitively, you know, if you think of intuition as something that's been a sum of thousands of experiences and interactions, then your intuition is basically processing at a faster rate because it un, it has experienced those different varieties of footwork patterns, those different ways to move around people, different ways to gain leverage or to deal with physical play. So when I hear about someone who's played lacrosse or was a wrestler or, or you know, was a, you know, great at the long jump or broad jump, that is interesting to me because it helps me understand that this person is athletically comfortable. And that means that, like, I think of it in music. I was a musician. And one of the more difficult things that would happen as a musician is you'd have to try out and you'd have to sight read. You have to look at something that looks like basically bug excrement on paper and have to play it you know, perfectly the first time and do it at a tempo that can be very fast. The more you've done that work, exactly. <laughs> the more that you've done that work um, and you've played more different types of tunes and in different types of settings and different types of feels, then the more your brain can process that faster. So it's the same thing with when it comes to athletics. And you know, Brian, the other thing that jumps out to me is I have for the first time recently, and, and this might be because of you guys, but for the first time recently, I've had college coaches that talk to me about track numbers. Um, and I, I think it's probably a product of you guys, but I know there are there are high school, I don't know if they get it from you guys or they, they try to mine it themselves. They probably get it from you guys, Brian, but... They basically call anybody who runs a sub 10, 500 in the country. I mean, they really do. Like there's a kid around here at Harrisburg that ran like a, a 10, Kamir Day ran like a 10, three or 10, four. And his coach was telling me he had Alabama people going like, so tell me about the kid that just ran a 10, three, you know, like, so talk about that part of it. Because the other thing is they know, you know, I think that there's these combines and they can have some verified numbers there. But they know track numbers are like as legit as it gets. And there's years upon years of comparative data for it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing uh, to start with the combine aspect, I don't I don't see anything wrong with the with the high school level combines. Now, you know, I think that there's varying degrees of verification um, and, and, and let's not at all assume that it's anywhere near the standards that are at the NFL level, right? Um, I think they do a decent job of measuring heights and weights and, you know, hand sizes and so on. But to the point that you're making with the track data is that, you know, you're talking about a data set that's historic, it's standardized, and it's universal, right? So your kid in Pennsylvania that runs the 100 can be compared side by side to the kid in California that's also running the 100, because both of those are going to be in environments that are state sanctioned. Uh, they're within their state athletic association. Uh, most of the high school meets, especially at like the district level and above, are fully automatic timed. And then, like you said, I mean, you're talking about history of data. 
that you can compare against. I can take J.J. Watt and look at what he did in high school as a shot putter. And you talked about a kid, you know, yourself kind of being a late bloomer. Well, J.J. was not a late bloomer from a height perspective, but certainly from a body weight perspective. You know, 215 pounds come out of high school, but but nearly a 60-foot shot putter who ends up going to Central Michigan that's a two-star athlete. Well, there's an awful lot of signal in a 6'6 guy that can shot put 60 feet, okay? Um, and I can take that and I can look at it, you know, today and I can take the Dylan Raddins kid out of North Dakota State. And I can apply kind of the same logic to that. And I can go, look, like this kid, you know, he's a 57-foot shot putter in high school, coming out of high school, goes to North Dakota State, and now, you know, is one of one of the senior bulls and Jim Nagy's, you know, favorite offensive line prospects right now. Um, and, and so it's not to discredit other athletic data streams. It's just to say that track data is real data. And the other thing that I would also um, point out, Ross, is, you know, I don't think football coaches – Football evaluators all truly have the appropriate context. You had mentioned, you know, a 10-4, 10-5 kid. I'll take that all day, but there's very, very few kids that actually run a 10-4, 10-5, okay? I mean, there's like 10, you know, SEC-level wide receivers, you know, that have been signed in the last 10 years that really ran a 10-4. What we have to start to understand is that, you know, Julio Jones ran an 11-2 in high school. Now, he was, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 215 pounds when he did that. But he also was a 24-foot long jumper, right? Um, and, and so when you look at the football context, I think that that's where football coaches are really getting interested in what we're doing because that's our whole deal. You can mine the data very easily, athletic.net, milesplit.com, direct athletics. They all have it because coaches in the track environment post it. Uh, but I think that what's really neat about us would then be the scores and the analytics that can that we we can derive from mining that raw data. Well, speaking of data, you can get all the data you want and then go to DraftKings because they are focusing this week the Rocket Mortgage Classic European Soccer. They also have futures markets in NBA, NHL, NFL. Speaking of other sports, I only root for Brooks Kepka. And that Moose guy, what's his name, DeChambeau. I like I like my golfers to look like they played high school linebacker. Okay, that's what's important to me. DraftKings is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and everyone is loving betting on golf these days. And you got the Rocket Mortgage Classic this weekend. Download the top-rated DraftKings sportsbook app now and use code ROSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter code ROSS when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, like Brian Spillbeller, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Unbelievable how many, um, how much, I mean, disclaimers should not be three or four sentences at this point. <laughs> I mean, I can't even do disclaimer voice that long. So I want to get to something, um, I want to get to the NFL part of it before I, yeah, I want to make sure we get that part of it in, Brian, because I, I totally understand colleges wanting the data for shot put 
100 meter long jump. Got it. Get it. I guess I'm a little more, a little more, not confused, but interested into how, why NFL clients want high school data like that after they have the body of work of college athletics and the NFL combine. Well, I think it's similar to the reason of, you know, why do they want to know the high school grades? You know, why do they talk to the high school janitor? You know, why they want to get truly a, a picture of the foundation that they that they could be possibly working with. And I'm not going to sit here and present the the idea that, you know, our insights are necessarily being utilized for, you know, day one, you know, day two draft picks, right? I mean, I think that they've got so much information about those guys that that it would be a, literally a, you know, a, a drop in the ocean um, when it came to our stuff. But specifically late round guys, even more specifically, small school prospects, you know, and I, I think that that's where when I listen to Matt and you guys discuss, and I kind of have been listening to the, the various backlogs of, of the draft picks analysis, you know, we're talking about kids that don't play the same competition level. It's hard when you watch the tape to, to really assess where do they stand in comparison to the Alabama guy. Um, what role did the development of being developed at Alabama versus Troy, you know, play in what I'm looking at right now? So I think we're just trying to give them a raw idea of what the makings of this kid were. And, and then, you know, with the small school guys, like a Jeremy Chin, you know, for example, who came from around here north of Indianapolis, you know, what numbers can I hang on him that would give me the sense that from a raw standpoint, he had athleticism that would be comparable to what I would expect at the NFL level. So um, the last point I'll make, though, is the the sheer volume of, of an NFL roster that comprises of UDFAs is is enormous. Right. And And so with UDFAs. You know, you're trying to find as many different things that you can to, to project potential, um, you know, and, and athletic upside. And one thing that Jim Nagy told me when we first entered the partnership was that he's noticed in the, you know, the last few years, the late round draft picks have been selected a lot more often because of their upside, their athletic upside, and less because they're a finished product on tape, right? They're looking for traits that play within their systems at certain positions. And, and if our data can help them identify that, then I think that that's just a little bit of an advantage that they can gain. You know, it makes sense, Brian. And I'll say this, I know they go back and they look and see how many stars these kids had when they were in high school and how, because not always, but if a guy's a five-star recruit, that means he was like a prodigy, right? In ninth or 10th grade. And there's a high percentage of those guys that have unique physical ability Matt I don't want to hog all the questions of Brian <laughs> knowing you and your and your process I'm sure you've got a couple of questions you want to ask Brian about what they're doing in their process absolutely though I learned right now and I just have to humble I actually have to just straight out brag on my wife that she actually had a better track um, info than Julio Jones. So I'm actually, I, I'm going to have to tell her that when I get off of this show. Um, but <laughs> to, but to, to put it in the, one question I have is I noticed that you talk a lot about height being a, a big time factor for what you guys do. And, you know, certainly a guy like Carson Wentz and Aaron Rodgers were guys that grew in that growth spurts. But when you're talking about maybe applying to the pros where like, when you go to college, you're like, look, we get big time athletes and the level of skill that they need to have to become dominant players may not be as great as when the playing field's even with the number of athletes that are in the NFL. 
So when you look at height, and I think of a guy like right away, and there's always exceptions. We're looking for, obviously, you're looking for ways to be able to pick guys who um, you're, you're looking at what are the, the safest picks or the safest routes or the best ways to get there. But do you, when, when someone invariably asks you, well, what about a guy like Steve Smith, you know, as a wide receiver? Because you think of some teams that got really big into the 6-2 being the minimum and then how they applied that may have been not as good of a way of applying that as maybe as they should have. So what do you talk to the NFL teams about how to apply this information if they ask for that from you guys? Yeah, I mean, there's always outliers, right? No matter what. So so our scores, uh, mainly the one score, we call it the player athletic index, is sensitive to height and weight at the position. You know, basically height weight tables for a position are weighed against the track and field data. So certainly a guy that doesn't fit that height, you know, prototype on that score's perspective could get dinged because, you know, Julio, who would you rather have, right? The, the bigger... Uh, heavier guy or the smaller, you know, slider guy, right? Um, but with Steve, it's the raw stuff that's at play. I mean, so while his height, you know, may have been uh, a bit a bit undersized, I mean, from a weight perspective, I wouldn't say that he was undersized at receiver coming out of high school, okay? And, and then on top of that, you know, you're talking about a guy that ran a, an 11.04, 100-meter dash, triple jumped 46 feet. In high school, now that's that's an unbelievable triple jump. You know, Richard Sherman triple jumped uh, near fifty feet, I think. Uh, you know, Steve Smith, a forty-six foot triple jumper. So now you're looking at somebody who, yes, he doesn't meet the thresholds that we would maybe commonly want to see in height. However, he his body weight it seems to be pretty consistent with what we would expect. And then he's truly excelling in the raw data, and we can give it a context. You know, give it a Pac-12 context, give it a you know a team context, and so on. And so I think you have to weigh all the factors, right? There's no end-all, be-all. And, and I, I think Ross made a point earlier that um, I want to just echo is that a lot of the times when we start talking about numbers, metrics, and analytics, people think that it's trying to replace the traditional scouting, yeah. right? It's only yeah. trying to enhance and complement the insights that you're going to generate through all of the other ways that you're doing. But the key is that you have this backlog, Matt, I'm sure from evaluating thousands and thousands of people, I heard you a lot compare players to players from the past, as you would discuss. Well, we can do that with the numbers, right? right. So we can put Steve Smith side by side to other wide receivers that were at his height and body type and go, okay, what were their athletic outputs and is it consistent? Yeah, and what I like about what you commented on is that you basically have some compensatory factors that go into what you do because I've always kind of looked at, the, even from just film study, I look at guys and I go, okay, maybe they're not the ideal height or weight for the position in terms of what they're looking for prototypically, but what are things that they can do or what are things that they do that do they have an unbelievable low center of gravity and balance for what they do? Or do they have great leaping ability, like you just mentioned, to be able to go and win to compensate for that height? And they're physical and they're, and they're strong for what they do, even though they're – so that's awesome in terms yeah. of you know what you mentioned there. Well, and and let's just be clear which Steve Smith we're talking about because I I mean I assume I assume you're talking about the Utah guy and I and yeah. I might have just misspoke is that you know I do want to be clear that I did misspeak on his triple jump where Steve Smith from Utah indicated was um, not in in those he indicated in the hurdles right he was okay. a hurdler so I just want to be clear I don't want to misspeak. Uh, That's all right. I like the Steve Smith from the Giants too. So well, I was glad. So I appreciate I, his. Hey, Brian, Brian, I, you yeah. know, I was going to say to you. You know, I was going to say to you. I was going to say, if you know 
Steve Smith triple jump off the top of your head. Yeah. You're a sicko, and I don't want you on the show again. <laughs> no, everything's all, everything's all right here on the database. And I just want to always be clear that, you know, sometimes I, you know, I, I, I get going and I don't think. But, yeah. The, no, of, the Steve course, Smith, of, course, of course, Matt mentioned the one guy that there's two guys with that name. But, but it's fine. Yeah. But the point still is that it's the same, is that that Steve Smith still indicates in in a very big way on the 110 hurdles he was a sub-15 and on the 300 intermediates, he was a sub-39. But to Matt's point, when you look at his PAI score, which is that score I mentioned earlier, it is a bit lower than what you would expect to see at an NFL level. And that's mainly because he's getting dinged at his height and his weight. Okay. So um, I want to know what, what are the numbers, whether it's NFL teams or college teams, what are the numbers that they're typically most interested in? Like what – what track events, or does it not work? Does it does it not work that way? Is it more, hey, we're interested in this kid. What are his track numbers? I think that it goes back to the three pillars: whether they want to be identifying, verifying, or comparing. Right. So, if if I were to use track data to identify, um, there's lots of different mixtures of raw data that you could use. I mean, certainly the most popular events that are, are performed by football players would be things like the 100 meters, the 200 meters, the shot put, the discus, the long jump, and so on. I mean, something like the 110 high hurdles is not necessarily a really common data point for football players, but when they have it and it's good, well, then it becomes something that I want to take notice of. And I think what happens is that we, we start to understand our own anecdotes from the past and we start to realize that there's connection. So I've sat in like an SEC coach's office with both coordinators, the head coach. And what ended up happening was that we were just on the site. We were talking about the concepts, talking about the data, but they wanted to know what their past guys looked like. They said, pull up this guy, pull up that guy, pull up this guy from 15 years ago when I was at a Big Ten school. And when that happened, then they started to get their whole backlog calibrated. So then they were kind of informing themselves on what may have been at play that they didn't realize that now they want to search for moving forward. And so I think that it's really unique to the experience and it's all because of the context. I think the, the shorter answer is that what they, they tend to care about is not the raw data, but the context through the football lens that we're providing. Can I quickly slide one question in Ross? Yeah. David Bell, you're an Indiana guy. I want to know what D David Bell's Indi um, PAI score was, wide receiver out of Purdue. And we and David is an he's an unbelievable athlete, state champion in the football and basketball world, right? Um, but didn't do track and field, right? Had combine data, but didn't do a track and field. So we have scores for different events, right? So the PAI you have to have done track and field now, and okay. David's just not now. Rondell Moore certainly did track and field, right? Yeah. And what Rondell's thing, and kind of back to the point about Steve Smith that you made, very small, very short, right? Uh, even for a slot receiver. But what's interesting about Rondale and, and Ross, um, you know, this might go back to what you had just said, is that he doesn't just indicate well on one thing, okay? And I think that that's a really – David Walker works with us. He was the Detroit Lions running backs coach for a while and also the, the Indianapolis Colts. And we coached together for a year when his son was in high school. Um, and David's big focus uh, with, with me and with the data has been, you know, when I look at a running back like Nick Chubb, for example – and I see that he indicates not just in the sprints, but also in something like the shot put. That says something differently than if he was just 
an indication on the 100 meter dash, right? And that's where Rondell, like, he is better than like 80% of Big Ten receivers in like four different sprint events, you know, everything from the 55 to up to like the, the, the 200, 400. So, you know, I think that's also an insight that people are starting to understand is, you know, it's one thing if he's just straight line fast. It's another thing if I'm seeing high indications in other areas of, of track performance. So I, I called Nick Chubb's game in the U.S. Army Bowl when he was a senior, and he looked like he could shot put. I mean, he, I, he, he literally, I said it right, I said he looked better physically than some NFL running backs midway through his senior year of high school. I mean, he, he was so put together. I also really liked, Brian, I thought your point, about J.J. Watt at 6'6", but only 215 pounds. If you're able to shot put 60 feet at only 215 pounds, you've got some explosiveness in your body. Same with the triple jump with Steve Smith. You you have some serious explosiveness in your body. Highly encourage everyone to check out Brian and his group at Track Football on Twitter, just get rid of the, the A in the first track. We'll put it on at Ross Tucker NFL, at Ross Tucker Pod. We'll tag him so you guys can see it, follow follow what they're doing. This is exactly what I was looking for, Brian, and I thought it was fantastic. Very, very interesting stuff. I'm not surprised. I mean, look, any information is good information, and for you guys to have all that verified stuff is terrific. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Ross. Appreciate it. And nice to meet you, Matt. Nice to meet you, too. That'll do it for today's College Draft Podcast. We'll be back next week starting to dive in a little bit to the 2020 college football season. Please, please be a 2020 college football season. Booger McFarlane is with me on today's Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Right now, though, If you're not following Matt on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. At Matt Waltman, you got to get the rookie scouting portfolio. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and the Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.